Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. I'm excited to be wrapping up this service this morning. This service, uh, this um, series called Body Beautiful. Obviously, talking about the body of Christ, and today we're going to be talking about vitality. Everybody say vitality. Now, there has been a fallacy, um, probably in the Western world, that the church is supposed to be small, it's supposed to be quaint. Everybody's happy with the church until it starts making too much noise. But I want to tell you that that is not the biblical standard for the church. If you want to look at the biblical standard for the church, go back to the first church, Acts 2, 42, 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost and from there it went to a number that couldn't be counted in a matter of weeks. I believe the church of Jesus is called, called to be uh, expansive. I believe it's called to be big. I believe it's called to be rapidly expanding. Didn't Jesus himself say, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations? Was that Jesus? Or did Jesus say, just go and talk to a few people and you'll be all right? He didn't. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So this church of Jesus, this body of Jesus is called to be big. Not big so I can look good. Not big so a preacher can look good or a church can look good. Big so that the world can be transformed. Somewhere in Acts, around Acts 17, the people of the town say, about Paul, the Apostle Paul, they say, this man that turned the world upside down has come here too. Do do you think Paul was just going around being nice to everybody? I don't think so. He actually got run out of that place in Acts 19 when we see one of the mightiest revivals we see in the Bible where literally people came, brought their um, magic, uh, dark, religious materials and burnt them. 50,000 gold coins worth, it says. I was just thinking in that song we sang there, just as an aside, do you know what the heart of revival is? Repentance. It's a turn. It's a turn. Welsh revival. What marked the Welsh revival? A change. A turn. People who once spoke a certain way spoke a different way. I said the other week, police laid off because there was no crime. That's the heart of revival. It starts with repentance. Thinking about, I was reading Isaiah 6, where I read it the other week to you guys, the train of the robe fills his temple, God's presence comes in his power. And Isaiah goes, behold, I'm a man of unclean lips, repentance moment. And then he says, here I am, send me. That's revival. That's what I'm praying for, for you and me that we would come to a point of saying, God, sorry for this, sorry for that. Sorry where we have come with our our agenda, Paul. You you were were so in the will of God when you were talking about that. Sorry when I've come with my own agenda. Sorry when I've treated you with contempt, God. Sorry when I've been lukewarm. God, take lukewarmness out of our hearts. God, cleanse your church of lukewarmness, I pray. We're not going to see an a rapidly advancing church if we're lukewarm. God is looking for a church of people who will be on fire for him, who will chase after him for the redemption and the renewal of a place. I want to tell you, Mansfield will be changed if we come into alignment with God's heart. I promise you. Me and Paul were speaking the other day. I said, Paul, you know that God wants Mansfield changed more than me and you. 
Do we realise that? We, we realise that, don't we? Yeah. So if that's the case, then what has to happen is this. God doesn't have to come into alignment with my plan. I have to come into alignment with God's plan and follow it through. That's what God is looking for. For a group of people say, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. I am sorry. Here I am, send me. That's what's going to change your office. That's what's going to change your school. That's what's going to change this workplace. Uh, And if we want this church to be rapidly expanding, like we saw in Acts 2, it's going to come from this heart. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now, you might be sat here today thinking, yeah, that's great, Josh. You go for it. Come on, Josh, we're cheering you on. Come on, crack on then. What are you doing? (laughs) No, no, no. We are all part of the body. The Bible says that the manifold wisdom of God will be revealed through the church. Another version says the many colours of God's wisdom. How can many colours be revealed if there's only one person doing it? How can manifold wisdom be revealed? God's manifold wisdom is revealed to the world through you and me, through the diversity, through the difference, because I believe we see, we truly see God's nature revealed when all of us come together. Doesn't the Bible say that we're made in his image? So me and Elijah look very different. But if we're both made in his image, when me and Elijah come into agreement and alignment together, then we reveal more of his image. Do you understand? And then when you add Joanna, who again looks very different to us, then when you add someone else, the more we come together, the more we agree, the more we reveal God's nature. Is that why our world is so polarised at the moment? Because unity is the key to seeing a move of God. Let's not come into agreement with, that, uh, with disunity because where there's unity God commands the blessing see the mission of the body of Christ is to grow <clears throat> it all flows from this connectivity that we've spoken about it flows from this diversity it flows from maturity because it takes maturity to come alongside someone doesn't it Paul you know me and Paul agree on lots of things we disagree on some things and that's okay because that takes maturity. And when, when you're a kid, when you're a child, you want everything your own way. You don't want to share. You don't want to do what someone else wants to do. You don't want to go where someone else wants to go. But hopefully, as we become mature, we can actually say, I'm going to lay down a bit of myself so that I can live a life and in relationship with Paul. That's maturity, isn't it? Saying no to me, saying no to my will, so that I can see a relationship thrive and God's will work through us. I want you to answer this question. What do you want to grow in your life? And what do you want to come from your life? What do you want to grow in your life? And what do you want to come from your life? Because root produces fruit. Yeah? Is that right? Is that true? Root produces fruit. So whatever you plant will grow. Whatever you nourish, whatever you water will grow. Now you can't plant an apple tree and expect pears. That would be pretty stupid, yeah? 
If I say I want some pears, what am I going to do? I'm going to plant a pear tree. I would go to Tesco, but some people would go and plant a pear tree. But you can't plant an apple tree and expect pears. And if we want to plant, we've got to plant good things. But it's not good enough to just plant good things. You know, to, to say one Bible verse once is not good enough. You have to then water it and you have to nourish it and you have to nurture it. See, roots are important to keep clean, to keep well watered, to keep nourished, to keep nurtured, to, to be protected from insects and, and from frost. But good root produces good fruit. Now, most of you who know me will know I'm no gardener. <laughs> I'm more of a destroyer of plants, if I'm being honest. Like, uh, uh, you know, me and, me and Jude, my little boy, will be playing football in, in my, my, my parents' garden or, you know, my mama's garden and we'll be ruining all the plants and uh, I'll be getting the disapproving look uh, because I've just, you know, ruined that, that rhododendron or whatever it may be. I don't even know what a rhododendron is. <laughs> I just said it. Um, but we're, we're, we're going to be destroying plants. I, I, I am not a green fingers by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know this. What you water, what you nurture, will grow. See, for a place to flourish, for a life to flourish, it comes from nurturing the right roots. Now, for those who have been anxious, for those who haven't had peace, I want to encourage you to nurture the right roots. Don't nurture fear. Don't water it. Don't keep coming back to it. If you do, I want to tell you, it will rule your heart. When that fear comes, the Apostle Paul says, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean? It means that when that thought of fear comes, I take it captive. Yeah. Let's say the thought is, um, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. That's coming around your head. It's never going to happen. I take it captive and I say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's what it is to take a thought captive and to make it obedient to Christ. Because what we're saying is this, we're saying, God, your word is higher than my word. The Bible says your ways are higher than my ways, your words are higher than my, my words, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, sorry. That's what we're doing. We're taking it captive and we're making it obedient to Christ. This is so key if we want to live a life that bears good fruit. Because if you're not careful, you begin to be like those weeds that that look horrible and bitter and twisted and they actually produce no fruit, do they, weeds? They actually stop fruit growing. They stop good things growing. So we have to cut the negative stuff off and we have to proclaim the word of God. Now, what I'm not just talking about here, please don't mistake me, I'm not just saying about, have a good declaration, I'm talking about speaking the word of God into your life. Powerful. See, there's a difference. See, if we want this church to flourish, if we want this town to flourish, if we want our nation to flourish, it will come through a protection, a nurturing and a promotion of the right roots. Proverbs 11 verse 10 says, when the righteous thrive, the city rejoices. When the righteous thrive, the city rejoices. This just leads me to Acts 2 every time because it says that they enjoyed the favour of all the people. Just imagine that. This rapidly advancing church, seeing amazing things happen. They enjoyed the favour of all the people. Why? 
because they were the righteousness of Christ. Let me remind you, when the righteous thrive, the city rejoices. When we live righteous, when we realise that we are the righteousness of Christ, when we realise that we can live and we can work and we can walk with God, people will rejoice when they see you. People will welcome you in. People will be like, please, we need you. This is what happens when the righteous thrive. See, when the root and the foundations are good, when the people of God choose to be the righteousness of God, the city rejoices. But it all comes from root. It comes from foundations. It comes from vitality, health and growth. They flow from good roots and foundations. I mean, how many times did Jesus use like horticultural analogies? So many. How many times did Jesus talk about, you know, one of the most famous parables of Jesus is the man who built on the rock and the man who built on the sand. Foundations. So we, we must make sure our root and our foundation is good. Look at Psalm 92. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Come on, who, who's, who's not seen a palm tree for a long time? I don't know about you. I've not seen one for a few years. I can't wait to see one again. But I, I want to flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Let me tell you, that is a big tree. It's one of the biggest, most flourishing trees that you can imagine. And and, and this, this cedar of Lebanon, it was thriving with life. Planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Oh, listen to this. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Proclaiming the Lord is upright, he is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. Who wants that? I want that. I want to ask you today, where are you planted? Is it in the house of the Lord? Is this your foundation? Or are you planted elsewhere? Are you planted in that job? Are you planted in that relationship? Are you planted elsewhere? And all those things aren't bad. But we're called to be planted in his house. This is why I can't, I can't treat the gathering with contempt. This is so important for me. This is sacred for me. If, if I wake up and the weather's good outside, I'm not going to the beach. I'm coming to the house of God because planted in the house of the Lord, I will flourish. If there's been any flourishing from my life, it's because my mum and dad have modelled to me being planted. They've modelled it. And sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, my, my kids aren't bothered about church or, or, or they don't want to come to church or, or whatever it may, may be. But if your life's not modelled a planting in the house, then why would they do anything different? We must be planted in the house. You look at the Richardson kids, Andy and Louise. I, I honour them, the great people in, in Arena Church. Morgan and, uh, Morgan and Liv are amazing kids if you know them. Do you know why? Because Andy and Louise are two of the most planted people I've ever known. They've been planted and they've seen a flourishing. We want this fruit. We want to still bear fruit in old age, anybody. You want to stay fresh and green. Who wants to stay fresh and green? I tell you what, there's a, there's a lot of people who are my age and younger who aren't fresh and green at the moment. They're bitter and twisted. They're dark and cynical. Go online. Just look at the comments on YouTube. Look at the comments on Instagram. We want to stay fresh and green, don't we? 
We want to proclaim that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no wickedness in him. If we want that fruit, then we have to be planted with the root, yeah? You know, we can have these unattended roots or bad roots. We can have the root of pride. It produces entitlement and arrogance. We can have the root of jealousy that produces resentment and mistrust. We can have the root of lust that produces perversions and sexual unfulfillment. We can have the root of anger that produces quarrelling and violence. And I would imagine that everyone in this room struggles with at least one of those. But in Jesus, we have the root of teachability that produces humility. We have the root of surrender that produces fullness of life. We have the root of prayer that produces interdependency and trust. We have the root of forgiveness that produces peace and freedom. I've been praying through the Lord's Prayer. Um, At the moment, it's been my model for my prayer time. This morning, just praying. Forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. We love to find shortcuts, don't we, in our lives? Yeah? Who loves a shortcut? I am a shortcut guy. Like, if there's someone who loves a shortcut, it's me. I'm the guy who's on, like, we've got the sat-nav in the car, but that's not good enough for me and Helen. Like, the sat-nav in the car is okay, but Google Maps is better at finding shortcuts. So, we're like, I don't know if you've been on Google Maps, but if you have, Google Maps will do this thing if you're on a journey. Save five minutes and it flashes up and we're, like, tapping it as quick as we can. Like, yes. Please save me five minutes off of my journey. That would be good. And he's shaking his head. It just, uh, it's just not the way he lives. See, my, my grandpa, he used to love the scenic route. He loved the long route. He loved the journey. I was like, why are we going 15 minutes longer? Let's, please, let's just go the shortest way. Like, I'm, I'm on to, I can remember, we, he, he helped me, he took me to physio, um, just a year before he died, and I, I'm really glad for those times we had now. And uh, this one morning, like, we were going to Chesterfield. Chesterfield's like 20 minutes away from my house. And the appointment was at nine. I was like, Grandpa, what time do you want to pick me up? It's like, eight o'clock. <laughs> eight o'clock. <laughs> eight, I need my beauty sleep. Look at me, hello. Eight o'clock, because we went the scenic route. But I think that's such a good analogy for our journey with Jesus, that... You know, with Jesus, it's not about the destination. We're going to heaven. If you have said sorry for your sins, if you've proclaimed Jesus your Lord and Savior, you are going to heaven, and that's pretty awesome. The destination's coming, but you don't have to think about the destination here. It's about the journey. It's about the vistas and the verges. It's about the twists and the turns. It's about the, the highs and the lows. It's about being on that road, and you can see for miles... It's about enjoying the company of those you're with. It's about the journey. We're called to take joy in the journey. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. For there's a joy that comes when you can, when you can do that. Joy in the journey, joy in the good times and the bad, joy in the hard times and the easy times, joy, joy when it's going well and joy when things aren't quite working out. We can have joy in all situations, joy in the journey. And discipleship's a process. 
It's about the journey. You can't shortcut discipleship. We, we love seven steps, don't we? Oh, give me seven steps to get to God. It's perfect. It's easy that way. We, that's the way we think, isn't it? You know, the, it's like at school, you know, the, the better you do, the more, the more you work, the better you'll do. And of course, that's a principle, but that's not a principle of the kingdom of heaven. God's actually looking. I don't want to be, I don't want to miscommunicate. God wants you to spend time in his Bible. He wants you to spend time in his word. But don't lift, lift the word above Jesus and, and God himself. That's what the Pharisees did. And they didn't see the heart of Jesus. God is looking for us to go on a journey with him. The word of God should lead us to the God of the word. Yeah? What did Jesus say? He says, remain in me. Remain in me. It's a relationship we are called into with him. Let's not try and shortcut it. Don't try and think, oh, I've read my verse for the day and that's it. That's, that's what I've got to do. Don't, don't try and say, oh, I've done my 10 minutes. That's enough. No, God's looking for you to enter into relationship. You know, if I just went to my wife and said, yeah, I've, right, okay, I've said I love you. Yeah, I've said hello. Yeah, I, I, I've said thanks for tea and then cracked on with my day. I don't think that would be good for our relationship, would it? But that's how we treat God at times, isn't it? Like, oh yeah, I've done my Bible reading, that's made me feel a bit better. Yeah, I've done five minutes, that's great. Yeah, I'll just crack on with my day now. But God's not saying that. He doesn't want that. Matthew eleven twenty eight, the message version, it says, work, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Genesis 1 says, God walk with Adam in the cool of the day. God is looking to walk with you in your life. He wants to know you. He wants to be involved. He wants to be intricate involved in everything that you do I heard someone say that following Jesus is simple but not easy Matthew 16 24 says this then Jesus says to his disciples whoever wants to be my disciple if anyone will come after me they must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me see this is a call to deny ourselves to follow to come after him, to die to self and to follow him continuously. You know, this isn't the language of our world. It's counterculture. This is, this is different. This is actually foolishness to the world. If, what, so I have to lose my life if I want to gain it. Does that make sense in the natural to anybody? But it makes sense in the spirit because I'm laying down my life to follow Jesus. I have to give if I want to receive. It's time for the people of God to prove the word of God in the earth. Which principles will we live by? Will we live by the principles of the kingdom of the world that says, if I want to get that promotion, if I want to climb higher, if I want to get more, what I need to do is I need to step over people. I need to tread on other people. I need to just strive and strive and strive to get and get and get. Will we follow that principle? Because I want to tell you, we live that principle at times. Or will we live in the ease of a relationship with Jesus? Not without focus. Jesus had focus. It says he set his eyes as a flint towards Jerusalem. He had focus, but he wasn't striving. We're called to live with a focus, but with an ease as well. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Easy to say, hard to live.
Brennan Manning, a Catholic priest, wrote, wrote an amazing book, and I can't remember what it's called now, but it, this is a quote from it. What makes authentic disciples is not visions, ecstasies, biblical mastery of chapter and verse, or spectacular success in the ministry, but a capacity for faithfulness. Buffed by the fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions and bruised by rejection and ridicule, authentic disciples may have stumbled and frequently fallen. Who's that? Is that anybody today? That's me. Endured lapses and relapses, gotten handcuffed to the flesh pots and wandered into a far country. Yet, they kept coming back to Jesus. See, this series, it's been an honest call to discipleship for the body of Jesus to become beautiful without spot, mark, blemish, mature, radiant, and pulsating with the light and the life of Jesus. I want to talk, I want to just show you two verses here that speak about growing. 1 Thessalonians 3:12. And may the Lord increase your love until it overflows towards one another for all people, just as our love overflows towards you. We are called to grow, to increase in love. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now I'm going to rattle through these because I'm a little bit behind. There's three areas of growth for every person. Are you with me? The first is this, grow in love. See, this is the basis of the gospel. John 3.16, someone say it with me. For God so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Matthew 22.37-40, it says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. See, this is a love that serves, that supports. This is a love that is a friend to all people. This is a love that honours, forgives, defends and protects. Come on, husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Parents, love your children. Children, love your parents. Pastors, love your people. People, love your pastors. John 13, 34, 35. Let me give you, this is Jesus speaking. Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognise that you are my disciples. Wow. Wow. When they see the love you have for each other. They won't recognise you because you you preach on the street. They won't recognise you because you do great exploits. They won't recognise you because you travel around the world, they will recognise you because you have the same love that I had. What love was that? A love that lays itself down. Jesus is drawing the line from what he did on the cross to you and me to live that way. Come on. How selfish can we be at times? How much can we be so wrapped up in ourselves that we forget to love even those closest to us? We are called to be marked by the love of Jesus. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, by the way you love. We're called, we're called to love all people, to love the spiteful, the hateful, the difficult, the confused, the dirty, those who are different, 
Jesus even says you're called to love your enemies. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for me and you here today, lifting our hands and honouring him. He died for those people who were cursing him on the internet. Understand that. How do we do this? Like I said right at the start of the service, it's an act of the will. We're called co-laborers with Christ for a reason. God does not want you to be a spiritual robot. He doesn't want to program a few things in his laptop and say, oh, I'll make Sandy do this today. No. He wants us to come into alignment with him and to work with him. So we can, we can have it, you know, we, we make an act of the will. I will, yeah? I will save the, the Lord. I will extol the Lord at all times. The Apostle Paul says, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's like, how, Paul? You know, God, can't you just do it? No, because God wants you to come into alignment with his will and he wants you to do it. He wants you to renew your mind in his word. It's an act of the will. And I've seen something swirling at the moment, an idea, a thought, an ideology at the moment that I can't stop myself doing this and oh, it's just who I am and I, I, I have to do this. It's, oh, I've always done this. No. No. That's not the Bible. The Bible shows us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Stop saying I can't. Stop it. Stop it. Stop saying that 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 thing where you keep messing up, you, you can't stop doing. Stop it. Stop saying that thing will never get better. That is not the word of God. That is not the will of God. Come on, someone say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We can through Christ who gives us strength. The second thing is this. We need to grow in grace. Everyone say it, grow in grace. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace of our Saviour Jesus. See, this grace, it can be defined in in many ways. But it's a grace that's joy-filled, that's delightful, that's sweet, that's charming. You know when you're in the presence of this grace. It's loveliness expressed in the grace of our speech, the words of grace. They are honouring, they're affirming, they're encouraging, they're bold. I want to ask today, is your speech gracious? Or is it harsh? I want to tell you, this is something that I struggle with at times because I really like a laugh and a joke. <laughs> I, I, I can be quite sarcastic if I'm not, if I'm not careful. So uh, I, sometimes my words can be harsh. And guess what? I have to say no. And I have to make an act of the will to use honour in speech, to make my words pure. I love that psalm that says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be honouring to you, God. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and they are healing to the bones. See, this grace expresses love and kindness, compassion and forgiveness to a broken world with no strings attached. It doesn't stand in judgment of the world. It doesn't stand in condemnation of the world. It's gracious towards the world. You know, the Apostle Paul was amazing because at times it was pretty harsh with people in the church, wasn't he? Yeah? But people outside of the church, he was so gracious. We've got it so wrong at times. We've been so harsh outside and, and we've just let whatever goes inside. That's not the biblical standard. 
Come on, let's be like the Apostle Paul. Let's, let's hold ourselves to a standard in, in the church, a standard of righteousness. And let's love the world in such a way where they think there is something different about them. I want to live like this. I want to read you this. It's um, from a, a book on moral lessons by Richard Seltzer. I think it just so speaks to the grace of God. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She'll be like this forever. The surgeon had followed with religious fervour the curve of her flesh, I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumour in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself, him and his wry mouth, uh, him and this wry mouth I've made, who gaze at and touch at each other so generously, greedily. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say it will. It's because the nerve was cut. She... She nods and is silent, but the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All of once I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lip to accommodate hers. To show her that their kiss still works. See, God reaches down. And he looks beyond our broken, brokenness and our disfigurement yeah. to kiss our crooked smile. Yeah. Yeah. This is the God that we serve. A God that looks beyond your frailties yeah. and your mess yeah. and your hurt and your brokenness. And he lavishes his love on you. Yeah. So shouldn't we lavish this love on the world in which we live? Finally, we need to grow in knowing. 2 Peter 3.18 again, but grow also in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. See, this English word is, is knowledge, but the Greek word is knowing. It's not information, but it's intimacy. It's gnosis, to know intimately. Essentially, 2 Peter 3.18 is saying, keep growing in your knowing. Keep growing in your knowing. See, to know is different than to know of, isn't it? See, I know of David Beckham. Like, I, you could think I, I know David Beckham. I can tell you a lot about him. I can tell you about all his hairstyles because I had all of them when I had hair. Uh, when I had the hair to do it, I, I had every single one. I had the, the, the blonde like curtains. I had all of it. I had the short one where you just dyed the middle of the hair, Paul, and spiked it up. Come on, somebody. Who can remember 2004 World Cup? We were going to bring it home. It didn't come home. <laughs> I can still see that beautiful face smiling at me right now. He had one, one earring in his ear. I can tell you all about David Beckham. The reality is I know of David Beckham. I don't know David Beckham. And it's the same with Jesus. Do you know of him? Or do you know him? Do you know what it is to commune with him, to speak with him, to feel him take your way? Do you know what it is to sit and wait and be with him? Do you know what it is to feel the liberation of his presence? Do you know what it is to feel the weight of your mess taken away? We are called to grow 
in our knowing. We are called to know him. Psalm 40 verse 1. The man after God's own heart, David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and he heard my cry. How many of us wait patiently if we're being honest? Or how many just pray frantically? We do, don't we? Oh gosh, I've got 10 minutes. I've got 15. I've got half an hour. I need to, need to pray for this. I need to pray for that. Do we wait patiently or do we pray frantically? Come on, God is calling us to a new level of knowing. He's calling us to a, to a grace to know him. Just to wait. Just to be still and to know that he is God. Do you know that feeling? Do you know what, it, what the Bible verse talks about when it says as deep calls to deep? So my soul longs for you. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Do you know what that means? Because you're called not to know it in your head, you're called to experience it in your heart. This is what we are invited into with Jesus. It is a journey with Jesus. Psalm 40, as we delve deeper into the passage, we see the Hebrew words for wait and patient are essentially the same word and meaning. In essence, the psalmist is saying, wait, 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 wait. Can I give you some homework? Is that all right? Why don't you go and wait? Why don't you go and wait this week? Stop bringing your list. Just chuck the list aside for one week. Chuck it aside. Stop it. And wait. There's this song that I'm listening to at the moment. It says, I'm going to wait on you. I've tasted your goodness. I've seen, I, 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 I trust in your promise. I'm going to wait on you. You know, to wait on God takes much more faith than to come and babble our list at him. We are so superstitious at times with our prayers. Oh, if I don't pray for this, then it's not going to happen. If I don't say this, then it won't come. No, 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 that's not the Bible. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Stop being superstitious with your prayers and wait on him. Will there be a people who will wait on the Lord? Will there be a people who will seek the Lord? Will there be a people like David in Psalm 34 who says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Come on, Arena Mansfield, this is the challenge. This is the challenge in this season. Will you step in or will you walk away? Come on, I don't want anyone in the middle anymore. I'm fed up of the middle. I'm fed up of being in the middle. We're going to go after God together. We're going to, have to, we're going to seek his presence together. We're not going to walk. We're going to run after him. Those who wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. Come on, somebody. Who wants that? Who desires that? This is what it is to know him. This is what we are challenged to in in this moment. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, I've talked to you about some of the challenge for me over the last year. I think some of the times I came to God and I I, I wasn't praying. I wasn't waiting on the Lord. I was just magnifying my fear. I just magnifying fear. Come on, this is what waiting does. We come. 
and say, God, I'm going to wait. Those who wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength. Arena, it's so easy for us to settle, for us to get comfortable, and for us to become lazy. We're not called to comfort. We're called to contentment, different things. We're called to be content in all season, but we're called to chase after God, yeah? There's a difference between content and comfort. The call to you and me as his church, the beautiful body of Christ, that we would reveal the manifold knowledge of God to our world in which we live, that he would use you and me to do that. We're called to grow in love. We're called to grow in grace. And we're called to grow in the knowledge of him, to grow in knowing, to love God with all our hearts, to embrace the brokenness of this world and to commit to the family of God called his church. Come on, just bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to pray.